morning. Our lesson, or at least our, our text, comes from Psalm 3, as Chris read just a moment ago. And this was actually one that um, <coughs> Brother Zach Hall and I did a, a podcast a lesson on here, I guess that was last week, on the same psalm. But we're going to be using verses 2 through 5 as our uh, discussion this morning. And I want to show this morning some healthy ways anyone can cope with difficult uh, situations. Uh, it doesn't matter really what year you're looking at. We can look at last year or the previous years. There's always times where you have to find ways to cope with things that come upon us. And when we say cope, we mean ways to handle, ways to respond to difficult situations. I'm sure I'm not the one who's been asked how to cope with certain things over the years, how would you respond to certain uh, situations or certain things that come upon you? And so we think about some things that man has to handle. Uh, well, man has to handle uh, really a lot of the same problems that we find still in the Bible. And so we want to begin by looking at uh, reasons one must learn how to cope. And we say cope, and, and really we do find this in the Bible as we look at it. People had to re- decide how to respond to certain situations. And we have the good examples and we have the terrible examples as well. But some reasons one must learn how to cope, uh, those reasons include things like stress. I just use that broad term because there's a lot of things that can cause us stress. We have to learn how we're going uh, to deal with it. Uh, Loss of a loved one, another thing that we have to learn how to cope uh, with, how to learn how we're gonna handle it. Uh, Temptation. This, of course, is not a conclusive list or uh, everything we have to worry about. Disappointments and also worry. Now, many of these really are kind of umbrella, what I call them umbrella things you have to worry about means there's all things that go into what causes stress. There's all aspects of what, how to handle the loss of a loved one. There's a lot of various types of temptations that are out there. There are a lot of things that bring us disappointments kind of like the way I'm feeling this morning with my head cold. That's pretty disappointing. But also worry as well. There's all things that cause us worry. And so there's a lot of aspects of really each of these that we could look at. Uh, but we're going to try to keep this somewhat uh, concise. We want to first be looking at some common, notice first that these are common reasons. Stress is a common problem. And we, if you remember, if you were in Bible class several weeks ago, we looked at Moses and his the way he responded to stress. In Moses, in Numbers, not Moses, but Numbers chapter 11, beginning in verse 10, says, And Moses heard the, the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people, people upon me? That I conceive all these people, that I beget them, that you should say to them, say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child, the lamb which you have sworn to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me. So give us meat that we may eat. For I am not able to bear all these people alone because of the burden is too heavy for me. And if you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Now this really... We're going to look at this a little bit closer later, but this gives you the idea of the stressful situation that Moses was in. If you remember the context, there's some of the people who are crying out because they want meat, no longer just manna. They were whining. And we find that if you back up in just a moment, the Bible says in verse 10, 
Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. That is the source of stress. The people who are weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door, door of his tent. And also on top of that, the Lord also was angry about it. A stressful situation. As we mentioned when we talked about this before, this was a large group of people. If I remember correctly, we talked about somewhere around the 600,000 number of people who were here, possibly more. And so a large group of people who are who are complaining and crying. And so no doubt Moses, uh, we find they're his source of stress there in Numbers 11. The loss of a loved one. I think a great example of that is David. After his event with Bathsheba, he had the child that was born by Bathsheba. Remember there in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning of verse 15, the Bible says, And Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Verse 18 then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and, we, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, they perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground and washed and anointed himself and changed his, changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house when he, request, uh, when he requested. They sent they set food before him and he ate. Then the servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You have fasted, fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. Now that is the occasion of him losing that child born to him and Bathsheba. We know out that that involved obviously fornication as she was a married woman. But what we find here where our focus is not on that so much as it is the loss of this child. We're going to come back to that again. Again, we're just putting out these situations where we find stress, the situations of then the loss of a loved one. This child obviously would be one who would fall in that category. Next would be tem uh, temptation. Do we see common examples of temptation? Probably one of the greatest ones and one we're very familiar with, not just in Matthew 4, but rather here looking at Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And we know in Joseph he was sold into slavery by his brothers, such kind, loving people they were. And we find now in chapter 39, he has been brought down into his, at the point, he's down in Potiphar's house because the Lord is with him. He has elevated himself up to the point where everything was under his hand. Now, no one agreed with him except for uh, Potiphar himself. He was over the whole entire house. The Bible says in verse 7, It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, 
fled and ran outside. Was that a time of temptation that Joseph was going to have to learn how to respond to? Yes. What about disappointments? The Apostle Paul is a great example of one who talks about those who have been disappointing to him. Paul was betrayed and harmed by others. If you look at 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10, he says here, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And as a part of for Thessalonica, Christians were Galatia and Titus for uh, Dalmatia. He says here in verse 10 that Demas has forsaken him. But also notice this in verses 14 and following in the same chapter. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware, for he has greatly resisted our words. On my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Did Paul have to deal with disappointments? Yes. Was it disappointing that Demas left? Yes. Was it disappointing that this coppersmith was doing him harm in such, to such degree that he was going to warn others? If you see there in verse 15, he says, you also be, be, uh, be aware of him. He was definitely a disappointment. But what about worry? What examples do we find about worry in the Bible? Well, if we go to Matthew chapter 6, Christ is not one who's guilty of worry, but he does talk about it in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25, where he says here, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barge, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the, of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, or thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Christ talks about worry. Now, again, these common reasons, stress, loss of loved ones or a loved one, temptation, disappointments, and then worry. I think those are some very big things for us to consider. And so we think about these things. We want to think about first and think about how do we cope with these things. We have to think about some dangers to avoid because there are some dangerous ways which one can respond or cope with certain things. And the first thing that comes to my mind is what I call the blame game, which is a point when bad things happen in a stressful situation, in the loss of a loved one, when temptation comes, or maybe when a disappointment has come, or we are worrying about things, any of those things we've already mentioned, it's easy to point the finger at someone else. Blaming others will accomplish nothing. Even if the fault is not yours, who is to blame for a, for a situation really matters in the end. Blaming others doesn't change anything. I don't care what part of life you're talking about, in the workforce, at home, with friends, whatever it may be, blaming others won't accomplish anything. Our response to the area of concern is up to, is up to you, how you respond, not to others. And so when we find ourselves in these situations of stress or discouragement, or temptation, or loss of loved one, or worry, whatever it may be, all those things we mentioned before, we cannot blame others for that situation, even if they are indeed at fault. It won't change anything. 
And so that is one danger to avoid is blaming others. But I think also there's another whole entire aspect to this. We think about dangers to avoid, and that is unhealthy reactions, because there are some very unhealthy reactions to things. The first one we have listed there is substance use. I don't care if it's legal or not, abusing anything, whether it be medicinal in the beginning, if you abuse it, it can become very harmful. If you take too much ibuprofen, you will get sick. You will, can actually overdose from a very common drug that almost anyone can buy. So moving beyond just that though, many times people will, when they are in these situations and learning how to cope with things, some of them know that will can be tempted to overdose from common drugs. Many times, though, the substance they run to is either alcohol or some other or some drug that is actually illegal, or be, maybe illegal doesn't matter, and they will abuse that substance. You know, we think about this idea of trying to cope with things by using various illegal substances or drugs. This reaction, when I think about this, is like jumping down a 50-foot well looking for sunshine. You're not going to find it down there. No one drops down the bottom of the well saying, well, where's the sun at? Well, using drugs and various substances is looking for sunshine in the wrong place. You're not going to find help there. There's a difference between treating things and trying to cope with things. Treating things is trying to ultimately heal that problem and get over it and remove yourself from that use of whatever that product may be. Trying to cope with something is the idea that you're going to use this for now on and just part of what you do. And that's not what we should be doing. No answers are found here, only more problems when it comes to substance use, or perhaps I should put abuse there. Because not all things are bad, but too much of anything can be a very bad thing. Another one I think sometimes is overlooked is binge eating. You know, this sounds Almost for some of you say, well, that's something you do once, you know, and you kind of get over it. No, there's a lot of people out there today who their reaction to difficult situations is they will eat. And over time, what happens, they put themselves in a very, very scary place. This results in building what I call an, an unhealthy defense. It's almost like, well, if they figure if they, get, if they eat enough, they'll find some comfort. And then maybe after a time, because of their size, they kind of almost distance themselves from others. And that's a very unhealthy way to go about thinking and to be acting. Any comfort is temporary and often results in addiction to food. And that is a very real thing. There are groups out there, multiple groups out there for those who have a food addiction. Because it does, find, does give them comfort, like uh, some run the drugs, some will run the food. It can be very dangerous and it will be very life-threatening if we are not careful about it. And so we think about binge eating. Well, from here, our problems will only multiply. Another thing to consider is what I call the hermit response or isolation. That is, you close yourself off from others when bad things happen. I think about this, so I think about, when I really think about the hermit response, is to me it's like you've just given up, you don't want anybody to talk to you about anything at all. If we have learned anything over the last few years, and that is that isolation can be very, very dangerous. The results in, in, in building a, this results, isolation, this hermit response results in building an unhealthy mental defense. As seen with many over the last two years, this results in depression, poor mental and physical health, and even suicidal thoughts. And in some cases, people even have killed themselves because they've been in isolation or in quarantine for so long. 
they've forgotten what it's like to be outside and to see and to experience, be a part of the world, so to speak. Man was not created to be isolated. You know, people talk about getting away. Many times it's a short trip. They go somewhere by themselves or maybe just their loved one, and they're alone for a while. It's been time together, but it, it always comes to an end. It's never meant to be an extended period of time. Do you remember what, what God said to Adam in the garden before Eve came along? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. He made him a helper. I don't think he was just talking about the, to help him accomplish certain tasks. He means it was not good that man was to dwell alone and solitary because that's a very dangerous, very dangerous thing to, to, to be involved in and to, to live in that way. Because it's pretty sad when we isolate ourselves and we go out to go shopping and it begins to feel weird because we've been isolated for so long. It's a very dangerous way to react. Some lessons for us today, we want to look at how the Bible says that man should cope with various hardships and things that come our way. And for this, we go back to those we've looked at before. We first go back to Moses. We want to notice how Moses responded. We know he did really complain to the Lord about those things. But notice, we want to notice the first two verses here, Numbers 10, uh, Numbers 11, 10 to 11. We find there, they, there people are weeping, they're crying. But look at verse 11. So Moses said to the Lord, what does that imply? That Moses spoke to God. Today we would say he prayed. That was how he responded. He didn't go out into the camp and start freaking out on people, did he? He prayed to God. He prayed to God about what was going on. And then he told God his worry, his concern, and how he was feeling overwhelmed by it, right? Do you remember what happened as we read through the rest of chapter 11? That God gives him 70 men who are to help him. Not just, I don't, I don't believe just for the workload as well, but also to show that God was very serious about helping his servant. 70 men he would be appointed to help him. But it began first in verse 11 by Moses praying to God. How should we respond in any difficult situation? How do we cope with it? We need to first go to God. Pray to him about it. Bring those things to him. We also find that Moses' stress in Numbers 11, and it was very great, did not cause him to stop serving God. He told God, this house is going to be kill me here and now. Do you think Moses really meant that? I don't think he meant that. I think he meant, this is really bad. I really need something to happen. And Moses, we find God responds, and Moses continues to serve the Lord. Next, we want to look at David. How did David respond in that time of loss? Because he did lose that child, didn't he? Going back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Looking at verse 16, we want to notice the first thing that David did was he prayed. He played with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Verse 17 says that people tried to lift him up, and he wouldn't go. He spent his time praying to God, right? A common response in any situation, good or bad, is prayer. But notice the very next thing we find as you look at verse 20. He arose from the ground after the child had died. He arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. He continued 
to keep God as a focal point because he worshiped God. He prayed until this child died. I'm sure he prayed after. The text doesn't say he does. What does worship often involve? Prayer. And what does he do? He goes in after the child dies in verse 20. He changes his clothes, cleans himself up, basically, and then he goes in and he worships God. He didn't walk away. He didn't blame God because in the first place, who really was to blame for all this happening in the beginning anyway? David. Bathsheba had a part in it. She wasn't innocent. But David was the one who Nathan came and spoke to, right? You are the man that was here, that was aimed at David. David had no reason to be angry at God. David was the one who was in the wrong. And so what does he do? He prays, and then he goes and worships God afterwards. He does not blame God. He does not turn to, to, to any type of drugs or any type of, of isolation. He does not turn to, to, to food or drink to give him comfort. He goes back to worshiping God as he should have in the first place. Joseph, in his example, you remember Joseph was an example of overcoming temptation, right? You remember what God said, you know, to overcome stressful situations, you need to know what the Bible says. You need to know what God has said about, about sin in general, right? And in Genesis chapter 39, uh, looking here at verses 9 and 10, Joseph remembered, right? There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he, has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? Because that's what he's, she's tempting him to do. He commits sin. And sin against God. He recognizes, he remembers, that, look, I can't do this because it's sin. First he says, he mentions there, his, it's, his, it's his master's wife, right? And then he says also, it's sin to do this. Now, you see there in verse 10, and she spoke to Joseph day by day, which means she kept on and on and on. What he did, the Bible says he did not heed her. Why? Because he knew, going back to verse 9, that it was great wickedness, and it would be a sin against God. When we find ourselves facing temptation, we need to remember what God's word has said, remind ourselves, you know what? This is not right. I can't do this. No matter how tempting something may be, if it goes against God, we need to be those who run away from it. And that's what Joseph did in a very, very literal sense. But he is a great example of trying to get away from sin because he did not want to sin against God. God was with him. God had blessed him. He would continue to do so because Joseph had an attitude of, I don't want to be committing sin and going against God. So in times of temptation, we need to remember what God's word says about sin. Next, we want to think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, as we know he had to deal with disappointments. How did the Apostle Paul respond? Well, he did not return evil for evil. You go back and look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16. He says, In my defense, no one stood, in my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may, may not be charged against them. Now, if you go back and look, in 2 Timothy 4, as we saw earlier, he also says, talking about the coppersmith, that the Lord repay. His mindset was, I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm not going to try to harm them. Let God sort them out, right? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. That was the idea of the Apostle Paul. Again, he speaks, he's speaking of both occasions. He will not hold it against them. Repay no one for evil for evil. And in 2 Timothy 4, when he does mention repayment, he says God will be the one who does it. 
And so when we find ourselves disappointed in people, let down by people, forsaken by people, even harmed by people, let's remember God is the one He will sort them out, because after all, He can do it the best. And lastly, how do we overcome worry? We'll look at Jesus' response going back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34. He culminates this section here in verse 31 by saying, Therefore, as a, as a result of all those things he, says, he said already, in verse 31, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? You know, all those are basic needs, aren't they? He's telling us not to worry about our basic needs. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. If you don't worry and put God first, you'll have what you need in life. When you think about worry, it doesn't matter what you're worrying about. We need to go to God with it. Pray to God about our concerns. Moses was worried about the people because they were crying and freaking out about meat. David prayed to God because he was worried his child was going to die. He, I think he knew it was. We prayed to God would change his mind. And on and on it goes. Prayers involved in each every one of these things. And here we must remember that if we put God first, we will be taken care of. We don't need to worry so much. Think about also some other ways we can respond. We want to notice here, we want to find somewhere positive to put our focus. And we're talking about stress or disappointments or worry, whatever those things may be. How do we cope? We have to find somewhere to positive to put our focus. Find a new hobby. Find something to do that will take your mind off whatever it is that is causing you anxiety or stress, whatever it may be. Find a healthy, find healthy ways to entertain yourself. I mean healthy ways, I mean ways that are not sinful. It's not wrong to watch movies, but certain movies could be wrong for us to watch. It's not wrong to listen to music, but certain music can be wrong for us to listen to. Find healthy ways to entertain yourself. Another way is to simply to exercise, a very popular thing uh, to do, because it takes your mind off of whatever may be bothering you, whatever you may be worried about, whatever the trouble may be. Plan a trip. This, this is a good one I think of for those who have lost loved ones. Plan a trip or an event that you will look forward to. Have something planned. One of the common things you hear about, about from people who have lost loved ones, they say, what am I going to do now? I don't know what to do. Plan something. I don't care what it is. It could be an event. It could be some trip to some nice place. It could be planning a trip to see your family. Whatever it is, have something to look forward to almost all the time. Plan events. Plan things out so you are looking forward to, because the more things you're looking forward to, the, more, the less time you have to look back and dwell on those things which you cannot change. Plan a trip or an event you will look forward to. If recovering from a spouse, from loss of a spouse, don't allow your home to be quiet. This is just one I think about because one of the worst things I think for those who have lost loved ones is a quiet home. Turn on the television, do your favorite show, turn on music, have something in the background. Don't allow your home to be quiet because a quiet home sounds like an empty home, doesn't it? Don't allow it to be quiet. Fill with grandchildren. They'll make it loud enough for you. Allow those things to fill your home. Don't allow quietness and stillness to fill your home. As we close this morning, there will always be things you have to cope with in this life. There's always 
going to be things I have to learn how to deal with. But the Christian must work to cope, to respond in a way that is helpful to self and not harmful to others. It is very, very common to hear people say, I'm worried about such and such person in my family. That means that your response, your way of coping is actually causing others some concern. And so whenever we are finding things we have to cope with, things we have to deal with, we want to make sure we respond in a way that is helpful to us, but also not harmful to others. You go back to Psalm chapter, to the third Psalm here, looking at verses two through five, as Chris read this, read this morning. Notice again these words. He says, many are they who say of me, there is no help for, for him in God. Is that a true statement? There is no help for him in God? He says that in verse 2. He's referencing his enemies who say that. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, verse 3, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts, lifts up my head. I cry to the Lord. What is that a reference to? It's a reference to prayer, isn't it? Praying to God. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord to sustain me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. He says there, because the Lord has heard his prayer, he can sleep in peace. There in verse 5, I lay down and slept. I awoke the Lord sustained me. The Lord saw him through those difficult nights. And in verse 6, he says, I will not be afraid of basically of anything. He says of 10,000s of the people who have set themselves against me all around, meaning he's not afraid of anyone because the Lord has heard his prayer. And because of that, he can rest and be at ease. When we find ourselves kind of having to, to cope and to deal with certain situations, we need to make sure that our first response is one that involves us going to God, going to the Bible and responding in a way that is right, that is good, that is scriptural, and that will help us actually improve and overcome whatever that difficult thing may be. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you. You can come forward now. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected.